0: Well, hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that is deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby.
1: Yep. And with that, if you have any questions that you would like to be answered about the Bible, uh, feel free to email your questions to info at grove.church. What we do with these questions at the last Friday of every single month, we do a bonus episode. I'm sorry, Connor, that was a... Bonus episode.
0: Sounds like you're in a cave, doesn't it? It is. It's pretty awesome. Yeah,
1: we are in a cave. Well, not anymore. Not anymore. But that is that episode today, and we love this episode. I think it's one of the funnest episodes we get to do every single month, um, mainly because there are a few of you that ask incredibly good questions, and it's a... humbling experience to say the least.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, I mean, with that being said, let's go ahead and just dive into it. We have a few really good ones this month. Uh, we're coming in with three. So our first question is why in Matthew 27, 14, does Jesus give no reply to Pilate or the priests when being questioned?
1: Yeah. With this, um, question, I think it's interesting to note that as Jesus is, um, Getting questioned and he's being put on trial the the purpose of him going on to trial was never to uh, miraculously defend himself and to get him out of death. essentially. Um, we see that in this whole time we we mentioned on the podcast, um I can't remember when we when we did this two or three weeks ago, um that this was an illegal trial. It right. wasn't something that um was really done in the in, in full view of the public. It was done in the middle of the night, which was not according to um, the Roman law. It wasn't legal. And so I think really when Jesus is asked questions by Pilate and he doesn't respond, you know, first things first, Jesus doesn't need to defend himself. He is not somebody that... Um,
0: Jesus re- doesn't have to answer to Pilate.
1: Yeah, that's a better way to put it. Gee, he didn't need to answer to Pilate. When Pilate is saying, are you the king of the Jews uh, and all these things, it wasn't to his benefit or to his detriment, really, to even answer a question because the entire point of him going on trial was not so that he could be found innocent.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting when you read, because I I, br- I pulled up Matthew 27. When you read about it, 11 through 14, here's what it says. Now, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave them no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. And part of this, I think, too, is is just the fact that um Jesus to a certain extent is not going to dignify um really the heresy that's being spoken by the chief priests, the elders, all of these people that are coming at him with attacks. And and like you said, the plan all along is for Jesus to be crucified. That is God's plan. Jesus is fully aware of it. He knows what's coming. So he's not trying to defend himself to get himself um, basically a lesser punishment or whatever it would be. But it is it is also interesting to me that he answers Pilate and, you know, not necessarily a helpful answer. He just says, you have said so. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when really the religious authority, and if you look at the ministry of Jesus, uh Pretty much the only people who Jesus is in clear opposition to is the religious authority. When they start to attack him, when they start to throw things at him, when they say that he's a blasphemer, all these different accusations that they throw at him, uh, Jesus refuses to even answer them.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I know from me, when I was growing up and I would get in trouble, like, <laughs> and obviously this is much different from what Jesus was going through, but like when my mom would ask me a question that um, she already knew the answer to, but she was just trying to get me to admit it. um, I didn't really respond. And I think that's how a lot of people view this with Jesus is that, you know, he just didn't want to respond because he knew the charges against him were true. Really. It just wasn't a benefit to anything. And, And really what we mentioned before, like Jesus didn't have to answer to these people. And because of that, um, you know, if he were to to even give a little bit of defense, that could very easily discredit who he was and stop
0: the trial. Yeah, it almost, uh, it almost less. Yeah, it almost lessens the impact of the ministry of Jesus in that moment. Well, moving on to question two, uh, this is a really interesting one that came in uh, via Facebook. Uh, in Leviticus, we are told that pigs were unclean animals. So why did Jews keep them? Uh, and then he lists the examples of the parable of the prodigal son and then Jesus healing the man of multiple demons when he cast the demons into uh, into pigs. And so this one was really fun. Uh, me and Connor talked about this one for a while and kind of just diving a little bit deeper into it. Um, the main thing to keep in mind, is the cultural context around different portions of the Bible. And so when we're reading through uh, the Old Testament, and especially the early Old Testament, Israel, or at least the, the lands that the people of Israel inhabit are very much homogenous societies. And what I mean what I mean by that is that for the most part, the people living there are Jews, they worship Uh, the one true God and their parents were probably Jews and generations before them. This is most likely the people that you're running into. And yet even then, uh, right now we're reading through Numbers and we read through Leviticus. Um, It's interesting when you look at a bunch of the laws that get mentioned, um, really a lot of them deal with sojourners or in other words, travelers who are in your land. So even in this period of great, um, uh, even in this period where Israel really is populated by one type of person. There is still um, record of people coming in from foreign lands, staying in Israel, and God's very clear that you're to treat them well and treat them with respect. Now, looking historically, when we get into uh, the the period between the Old and the New Testament, some really important things happen as far as history goes. And so um, Alexander the Great, if you've ever heard of him, comes sweeping through. He's kind of famous. Kind of famous. They call him Great, so not to be confused with just regular Alexander. Alexander the Decent. Alexander the Mediocre. (laughs) Um, But Alexander the Great, uh, he goes on just a a conquering rampage. Um, He goes really, I think he starts in Macedonia, makes it all the way to India. Uh, Much of the known world, or at least the eastern side of the Mediterranean at this point, is under Greek control. And the empire begins to sign begins to dwindle after Alexander dies and eventually Rome comes in and really does conquer pretty much the entire Mediterranean world um, and and a lot of the Middle East. And so at the time of the New Testament, there's really this idea of Hellenization and what that means is – no longer was Israel this place that was mostly populated by Jews or people who spoke Hebrew. um, But really it was a multicultural area. And that's why when we talk about the new Testament, even the books of the Bible that are written to uh, Israel, they're written in Greek because that's a very common language that the people are starting to speak.
1: Yeah. There's a phrase and I'm sure you know it. It says all roads lead to Rome. Um, Really. This is just a truth of this era because They did so much conquering, and they also did a ton of just really, honestly, a lot of beneficial things to just human nature, not necessarily in like the spiritual sense, but in like just, you know, building roads. There are still roads that Rome built in like the first century that are still used by cars today.
0: And really when we look at – I think one of the most interesting things is when we look at the spread of the gospel – it really would have been much more difficult if it weren't for the Roman road system. Yeah. Like Jesus came along at the perfect time, almost like they planned it that way. Um, but when the disciples begin to go into all the world, they're not having to traverse wilderness. They're not having yeah. to take paths. They're taking roads that are built by Rome. Yeah.
1: And so because of this, um, naturally we just see an influx of people from all over and, you know, not, not everybody who lived in Israel was a Jew. And just as much as it is today today, also, not everybody who lives in Israel practices Jewish customs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, though, and I'll say this, and this is um, one one thing that I found kind of funny, um, but it's also um, a beautiful part of the Jewish religion. Um, when we were over there, we saw this field, and it had um, basically like a deck that was put over the top of the field. It was really weird. And so I asked my tour guide, I said, hey, what is that? He goes, well, that's actually a pig farm. And I was like okay like what's what's with the deck that's my question here he goes jewish people um they still believe that uh pigs are unclean which i believe it's anything with a cloven hoof like we get caught on the pig but because that's one of the big ones that we that we eat um but basically they they have such reverence for um the 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 law that they actually build these platforms um so that um, and these aren't even Jewish people. These are like people that live in Israel. Like there's like laws against it that these pigs will not touch the ground. And <laughs> it, I know it's 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 funny. It's interesting. but really, when when we ask, um you know, why did the Jews keep them in the you know, in the parable of the prodigal son, we see that he leaves his his town and he goes somewhere else. So um we can assume that he was outside of Israel. And then um, Jesus healing the man of multiple demons, um, we can also see that this was not um, a Jewish person. So the Jews still hold to that today, um, but in this situation specifically, um, we can just basically not assume we we just know that these people weren't Jewish.
0: Yeah, and the, and the idea behind you know the whole big history lesson that we went through is the idea that. Keep in mind that when we're reading about Israel, particularly in the new Testament, it is not fully populated by Jews at this point. There's a lot of different people living there. In fact, when we look at the miracles of Jesus, he's oftentimes interacting with Roman citizens, um, with Samaritans who, while they're descended from Jews, they hold a different customs. And so um, it would be, it would be false to assume that everyone that Jesus is interacting with is also Jewish at this point. So hopefully that answers your question. Uh, And with that, we are going to move on to the uh, the really difficult question this week. So,
1: Well, it was really difficult, but we found a great article.
0: <laughs> we did. So we're going to be referring back and we'll give you the article uh, in the show notes. We'll be referring back to it a few times. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and read the question. We'll talk a little bit about it before we actually dive in. Um, so it says this, another question for you guys, uh, Jesus came to fulfill the law. And on your podcast, you said that this refers to, to the Levitical law. The implication was that there are bits that we don't follow, uh, but other bits that we still do. How do we determine which ones should still be followed and which ones should, and which ones shouldn't?
1: Yeah. And, um, what the person was referring to was, Um, you know, the tattoos, the clothes from two cloths, things like that, that don't make sense. And, you know, don't cut your hair. Like, okay, I got a haircut two weeks ago. So actually last Friday, it wasn't even a week ago. And it's looking fresh. Thank you so much. Which is actually the name of my barber. His name is fresh. His name is fresh. That's not his like given name. No, his name is Douglas, but he went to prison. So
0: cool. All right. He got
1: saved by grace and he's a Christian now. And now he's literally was led to the Lord by TD Jakes because he started cutting his beard in Texas. Crazy story. That's that's a crazy story. And so now we call them fresh. All right. Anyways, um, there are things that really were um, that when you know when we say the Levitical law, or or when people use the argument of you know you know Christians, you wear you know clothes of two different fabrics, or you cut your hair, or you have you know tattoos. You just like to pick and choose. Um, what laws to follow, and really, I think um not to get like super into like a huge topic because we're just trying to answer this question. But really, these things come up in the instances of, you know, why does why why do most Christians believe that homosexuality is a sin? You know, why should you not drink? Like you know, etc. All all these things and to excess, use, yeah, yeah, and, and to to excess, correct, and and they use these few things of like, well, you know, you're just a hypocrite because you're wearing a cotton polyester blend, or you got your haircut, or you have a tattoo. And what we want to do, we just want to
0: um, kind of shed some light on
1: just this whole, um, the Levitical system, essentially. Yeah. And
0: so one thing to keep in mind uh, before we dive into it is this is not going to be um, a definitive, like, full study of everything. If you're interested, like I said, we're going to link to an article um, that really helped us out as we were researching for this. Um, and I would also encourage you to research it for yourself. Like, this is something, uh, personally, I remember remarking to Connor when we were talking about it, um, I've actually been thinking about it for a few months and just kind of like, well, how do we actually like yeah. narrow down um, what parts of the law apply to us today as Gentile Christians, what mm-hmm. parts don't. Um, and so it is an, it is an important thing to think about. Yeah. It, and oh, sorry. Oh.
1: oh no, you're good.
0: Go. I was gonna say one last thing I was talking about is I heard this on a podcast um, years ago, but it's, it's always stuck with me. Um, a lot of times we live in kind of a Twitter culture, which I know kind of makes me sound old, but Um, it's very easy to argue certain things in like 140 characters. Um, and sometimes the responses to those arguments take a lot longer. Um, this isn't something that can be explained really quickly. That doesn't make it less true. It just makes it a little bit more complicated. And so we're going to talk about a lot today. Um, but bear in mind, a lot of times, um, when you see, particularly with arguments with, um, with atheists kind of challenging the faith, like one of the ones that you hear all the time is, you know, why would, why would a good God allow, bad things to happen. Well, that fits in 140 characters. The answer to that does not. The answer to that is long, it's complicated. We talk through um, really what do each of those words mean. And so keep in mind that as we're talking about today, it's not just a quick answer that we're going to be able yeah. to go through, but we're, we're really going to talk a little bit about all of the different things.
1: Yeah. Brevity does not equal um, truth. Truth, yeah. sure. It doesn't doesn't equal accuracy. There are certain things that you need to and I'm sure for the parents out here, you know, for a fact, like you can't just tell, you know, your student something or it, like sometimes you need to explain things is what we're trying yeah. to get at.
0: There's questions your students ask that uh, are not easy, quick answers. Yeah.
1: If you just want to shut down and you say, because I said so, and that would fit into 140 characters. But if you're <laughs> really trying to tell them why they're not allowed to drink before they're 21 or, you know, why they're not allowed to move out when they're seven years old, those aren't going to fit in 140 <laughs> characters. That's going to be a lot of
0: explanation. Yeah. So with, with all that being said, um, let's kind of take this through piece by piece a little bit of what's going on. So the first thing I think is important to keep in mind is that we get in Acts and Connor of Action. if you want to look this up really quick while we're talking about it, we get in Acts, the story of Peter when he has a vision And in this vision, it's later confirmed through some salvation, some incredible prophetic things that happen, that the Gentile Christians are no longer held or Gentile Christians are not held to Jewish dietary laws. Mm -hmm. And so we get this idea that there are certain things that were marked clean. There are certain things that were marked Unclean and these laws were not things that Christians were obligated to follow.
1: Yeah, it's Acts 10 uh, 9 through 16. And it says this, and I'm reading the uh, NIV, New International Version. Um, it says this, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on, a, on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down. Uh, to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then the voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I have never eaten anything unpure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time and said this, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This has happened, or this happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken
0: back to heaven. All right. And so... From this story, we get that, okay, there is now a category of laws in the Old Testament law that no longer applies to Christians. And so, right off the bat, we know that we don't have to follow the entire Levitical law as it's thrown out. Uh, Later on, in a lot of the Pauline letters or the letters written by Paul, we also get uh, talks about how Christians are not bound to celebrate Jewish festivals, and so there's a a bunch of ideas of there's certain uh, there's certain holidays that are celebrated by Jews in certain communities, and Paul says um, in many of the different letters, really this idea that just because people celebrate this or don't celebrate it, that's this thing for your own conscience to decide, but it's not something that should be dividing the church.
1: Yeah, and um, even with that, Paul even gets to a point um, talking about food sacrifice to idols. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's just it's just interest. It's just good to know that. Um, when we say this, we don't throw out the whole law. But what we're really talking, essentially, and, you know, as as we're going to kind of break this down, there are three categories of the law Mm -hmm. that um, it gets really explained really well in the article that we've linked. Um, But the three categories are this. It's the civil laws, and these were the laws that governed the nation of Israel. There were the ceremonial laws about uh, clean and unclean things, such as, um, you know, what you can and cannot eat, the sacrifices, all these other things. And then there were the moral laws, which uh basically are the Ten Commandments. Yeah. And so when we say that when Jesus came in, you know, in Matthew three sixteen through seventeen, uh, we focus on three sixteen, but we don't focus on the fact that in verse seventeen it says that he came to fulfill the law, not abolish the law. Right. And so when it comes to this man, the, the law is still intact. It's still uh, Paul says that that the law is now written on our hearts. And what that's referring to is the Ten Commandments. And really what what it just all comes back down to is that we were not um, freed from the Ten Commandments. We were freed from these ceremonial laws yeah. that because of what Jesus has done fulfilled the law. It's the, these were the things that would separate us from God, but now because of Jesus being the perfect and final sacrifice, we are now in relationship with Him, um, and we don't have to do sacrifices and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and so to, get, to give a, um, a really easy example, the, when we talk about civil laws, we're talking about what the government's reaction to sin should be. When we're talking about ceremonial laws, we're talking about um, really the idea of what do we have to do to be clean before God after we've committed this sin and then the moral law is talking about what things are sin and oftentimes in the Old Testament these three things would be connected so a really easy example um, is murder because we have all three of those different types of law being connected to it so first off in the moral law uh, God tells us that murder is wrong yeah, that is
1: shall not kill
0: yeah so we uh, we do know that that is something that we still hold to. The things that we don't necessarily hold to are the ceremonial portion of the law and the civil portion of the law. Um, The ceremonial portion is basically saying the certain things that would have to be done for people to be unclean. Think about like, you know, if you touch the dead body, whatever it is, um, those things, we do not believe that we're held to anymore. Jesus has fulfilled those parts. And then, In the civil law is basically saying how the government should react when someone breaks the law in this way. Um, And this is where it really gets, it gets a little bit more complicated, but again, in a bunch of the Pauline epistles, the, the, the letters written by Paul, he talks about how um, the role of government, God has put them into authority and it's the government's role to do certain things. And so in foreign countries and when, and we are in, Again, speaking from Israel's perspective, so we are a foreign country from where the law was originally inscribed, where the law was given to the people of Israel. Um, the government does decide how people are punished for breaking law in certain sense. That doesn't make it more right or more wrong. The government doesn't get to decide what is what is and is not sin, but the punishments for sin and then the idea is really for the government and then the ceremonial, What is what do we have to do to be clean before God? Well, now as Christians... It's repent. It's no longer the sacrificial system. It's no longer doing all these different things. Because Jesus came, because we have access to God, we no longer have to do those things to appear clean before God. We appear clean before God because of what Jesus has already done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that, and really, I know that's taking a really complicated answer and simplifying it a lot, or excuse me, a really complicated question and simplifying a lot. But I also think sometimes we just overthink a lot of stuff in Scripture. And a lot of things... Um, It requires a little bit of research, but in this big question, it's actually a really simple answer. It's Jesus came to fulfill the law. And because of that, when he died, we now have access to the father. It says this in Romans that through Jesus, he was what's, you know, big, big word. He was our propitiation for sin, the final
0: sacrifice, which then
1: gave us access to God through him.
0: Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And so to to kind of go over it one last time to hopefully, or hopefully just be, be helpful with it. Um, there's three different separate types of laws in Leviticus. There's civil law, ceremonial law, moral law, the moral law. We still hold to what the Bible calls sin. We still hold to as being sin, um, ceremonial laws. As far as things that are clean or unclean, we do not hold to because Jesus has fulfilled those things because we are clean before God, not by doing these rituals, but because of what the work that Jesus already done and the civil law, uh, Basically, secular government does decide how certain things are punished. And we talk about, again, that's a really complicated thing to go into. But in the Pauline epistles, we are to, as Christians, submit to that authority. Boom. All right. Love it. Well, that wraps it up for uh, our Q&A episode. This is our third Q&A episode. Uh, please continue. High five. High five. High please five. please continue uh, to email in your questions. We, we seriously do. We love being challenged. Um, we love having to dive a little bit deeper into the Bible. That's what this podcast is about. And I love the fact that we've been able to really create this fun community of people where we get to read the Bible together um, and, and really answer questions together. So thank you all uh, for continuing to listen. Thank you for continuing to email in questions. Uh, We couldn't do this without you. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. We'll see you all next, well, well, I guess we'll see you on Sunday. Stay tuned. Yeah,
1: stay tuned. Not for the Q&A, but for the next week of...
0: Let's read the Bible.